Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 123, part 2. My Burb of the Century 2023. This podcast is recorded in Te Whanganui Atara, on the rohe of Mueupoko, Taranaki Whanui, Te Atiawa and Ngāti Toa Rangatira. We are generously supported by our amazing patrons. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. It is nearly the end of another year. Which means here, in Aotearoa, it is time for the most important election of the political calendar. The Bird of the Year. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know what this is about. But for those that don't, Bird of the Year is an annual vote run by the conservation organisation Forest and Bird. It's quite a contentious vote, but thankfully you don't have to pick just one. You get to rank your top five birds from the selection offered. And even better, it's an online vote, so even if you're not based in New Zealand, you can still have your say. And at the end, whichever bird gets the most votes is given the illustrious title of Bird of the Year. This time around, though, it is an extra special election. Forest and Bird was founded in 1923, making this year their 100th birthday. Hooray! To celebrate, they're calling Bird of the Year the Bird of the Century, and added a few more contenders, all of whom are extinct. Some of them you've probably heard of, like the Huia, and others you probably haven't. I've chosen not one, but two of these lesser-known extinct birds to teach you about. And in addition to two birds, we're going to have two hosts. I thought it might be good to bring in some extra scientific knowledge, if you will. 
So I invited my partner, Lily, to come on and add their insights into avians and ecology as well. I've split our chat into two episodes, each with one bird, and both episodes are releasing on the same day. You're currently listening to part two, so if you haven't listened to the other part, it's already available now. Enjoy. So because I knew that this episode was going to be a bit shorter, um, Mm. because of the limited information at hand, Mm. um, I also picked another bird that I thought was quite interesting as well. I'm pretty sure I remember what this one is. You probably do remember what this (laughs) one is, because honestly, this is the one that I found... I don't want to bag the bush wren, but I found this one a lot more interesting, personally. Mm. Well, Um, the the bush wren, we have two extant species that are similar yeah this guy is very interesting i do i do find the bush wren that that was interesting and that the similar i found the similarities interesting Mm. and that Mm -hmm. the titiponamu and the bush wren are quite similar and that in itself Mm. is quite interesting Mm -hmm. um yeah i would be interested to try to understand more about why they were hit so much harder because mm. south island titiponamu again it's just subspecies not completely different species um, Acanthocita chloris hutni, maybe? Um, the South Island uh, is not threatened. The North mm. Island one, Acanthocita chloris chloris, or is that the South Island? Anyway. Um, <laughs> no one is going to pull you up on it. <laughs> they might. They might. If I, yeah, whatever. If, I mean, if I'm doing this at work, I have like books and stuff mm. in front of me. It's not like I need to yeah. know the Latin name when yeah, I'm yeah. in the field. Like, oh, shit, what is that? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, on the North Island, they're at risk. Mm. Um, and I I think they're, yeah, some, some regions do their own threat status. Um, so that would be interesting to understand from a conservation perspective why why did how has the titiponamu made it mm. without you know they're they're at risk but they're not conservation dependent per mm. se whereas the the rock wren sounds like they got you know just obliterated in a pretty short amount of time in the scheme of things yeah bush wren you mean yes yeah you said rock wren yeah. yeah i i don't know what their threat status is no yeah so yeah that would be interesting to know why if they're such similar species why mm. did they it may just be a matter of how close they nested to the ground because mm. the titipanama they they're way up in the trees in little yeah. crevices it could yeah um, that would mm-hmm. that would do it like i think <laughs> like honestly most rats i don't think could fit into a titipanama nest mice could but not not mm. most rats yeah um because you sense. you watch videos and like even these little like six gram birds have to like kind of flatten themselves to to squeeze into their nests mm. yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah interesting um, but we're going to move to a Anywho. completely different bird this time. Anywho. <laughs> they don't actually make that noise. I know. Um, so we're going to talk about the um, Fico. Fico? Fico. Sorry, I had to. Okay. Fico. Is it? <laughs> um, that's the Maori name. Um, we're going to talk about the laughing owl, which I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. um, because it's such a weird looking bird mm. and and its behaviors are also really weird um so its uh scientific name is ninox albifaces that's albifaces albifaces i don't know sure. i can't see how it's written so you're on your own um <laughs> but that's that's i would not at all have guessed that they're in the same genus as the ruru yes they are that is surprising to me because they yeah. look so different Yep, they're a very different body shape. They are. They're about twice, um, about twice the size. Yeah, um, they're of just a, they're much, 
leaner. Yes. You're more long. Yeah. Um, Whereas, I mean, I guess the Ruru kind of has the facial disc, which is mm. a, a trait of strigiformes of owls. Mm. Um, for sound reflecting reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So again, these are endemic to New Zealand, um, and their threat threat classification is extinct. So in terms of what we, of what they look like, um, they're an owl. So you can kind of you have a base. Hopefully, you have a base idea of kind of what an owl looks like. Um, but the, as we mentioned before, they're twice the size of a ruru or a uh, moorpork um, in English. Um, so they're about forty to forty five centimeters in length um, and about six hundred grams uh, in weight. Mm. Uh, the adults were dark brown with yellow stripes down the edge of their feathers, and their belly was yellower than their back, which was much more brown. Uh, their legs were covered in yellow bristles. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird because the pictures and some of the taxidermy I saw, yeah, they were like sh- short, sort of stalky, feathery type things so they're they're, they're technically feathers that are growing out of their legs but they're not fully feathers right so if you think like just the 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 main stem the main stem with like little sort of feathery bits on the edges yeah yeah so they're like it was it is kind of weird if you look at the pictures so they have those yellow (laughs) bristles um and their face or facial disc um was pale with some dark brown streaks and juveniles were more white and yellow rather than brown. Now, this description is really interesting because if you look at some of the pictures of, um, you, you know, when Europeans were going around drawing mm. all these different animals, the 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 color of that plumage I've just described is mm. not the same. That's what I was thinking. Like I've never seen them yellow. <laughs> some of them. What do... you're describing sounds if it, if it reminds me of anything, probably a barred owl. Mm. Um, b-a-r-r-e-d not b-a-r-d yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's really weird um i might just oh there he goes oh yeah so there's a lot of spooky boys so there's a lot of difference Mm. so one of the pictures we're looking at now has got a laughing owl. it's a drawing or a painting of a laughing owl with i gotta pick a picker it's very brown it's very, very brown. He's yellowy on his tummy. Sure, yeah, he's, he's yellow on his tummy. But if you mm. compare to this one, he's very white mm. in comparison. Show um, me the photo again. So the photo... Yeah, I guess they are a little more ruru-shaped. Mm. Um, no neck. <laughs> no, absolutely no neck. Which, you know, anatomically is not true. They have so much neck, but it is you not. Cannot you see cannot it. see it. <laughs> They have, if anything, too much neck. Yeah. Um, so they're an interesting looking bird, mm, I think. In yeah, they do of... have that sort of stripey back like a Ruru does. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, so they're an inter- kind of a weird looking owl, I think. Um, Fair code. And interesting to look at. In terms of closest relations, um, there is uh, or was a North and South Islands population um, that they're sometimes treated as subspecies. Um, Depending on who you ask, sometimes they're treated as the same species, um, which is, I think, pretty common for mm. New Zealand birds. Is some people lump them into all one species, and some people split the two islands into um, subspecies. Often, um, it really comes down to genetic data, like if mm. they are genetically distinct populations. Mm. Um, so, like sometimes, like that's something you'll see on NZ Birds Online. Is sometimes they'll say like. 
you know, North and South Island subspecies formally recognized but not supported by genetic data or something like that. Sure, yeah. So well, if and... you've got things that are pretty good flyers, they may have just enough mingling across the across the Cook Strait that they are not genetically distinct, or perhaps they haven't been separated for long enough. Yeah, sure. In this case, it's, it was apparently based on um, some minor differences in size and plumage, mm. um, which, yeah, is probably not enough for a good consensus. Well, it's hard to say, is that genetic or environmental? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. If you give it enough time, it'll probably be genetic. Mm. You know, if if smaller bodies is being selected for in one population, if you give it another 100,000 years, it may start to genetically separate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, they were thought to sit in their own genus for a little while before they were moved into um, Ninox, um, which, as you mentioned before, is the same um, that uh, Ruru mm-hmm. are in. Um, and they're more broadly known as Bubuk owls. Mm. Um, because that's what Ruru is called in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah so in, the, or Norfolk the, Island specifically. Yeah, then the one in New Zealand is a is a subspecies. Yes. So um Ninox Novizilandi. Yeah. And so you actually Or is it Nova Hollandi? It's one of those. It won't well, well that Nova Hollandi will be Australia because Australia used to be called That's the, what it is. New it's Ninox Nova Hollandi subspecies new neo Nova Zealand. Nova Zealand. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a bunch of different. A lot of New Zealand things have some version of New Zealand as yeah. their specific epithet, but like spelled slightly differently. It's maddening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah. So what something I didn't know when I was researching this is that bubukals are actually found not just in Australia but Asia as well so if you go on wikipedia and google these it's got a whole list of these different owls mm. that all look like varying shapes and sizes of ruru all mm-hmm. across australia and asia which i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. yeah and if you go one step above that strigidae um pretty much all owls on earth are in that mm. um barn owls are off doing their own weird thing genetically but mm. yeah strigidae is pretty much all the owls on the planet so amazing it's not as diverse as like once you get into passerines like the wrens and stuff Mm. holy cannoli there's (laughs) like i can't remember the numbers but let's say there's ten thousand kinds of birds which Mm. is not nearly enough like eight thousand are passerines like proportion wise yeah Um, but we don't have time to get into all that so (laughs) (laughs) um so for the calls of the laughing owl um again we don't have any recordings of these guys are you sure I think they have one in that um, thing in Zelandia. Or not they, Zelandia. Um, in Papa. Uh, they might, but also I didn't go to Papa to listen to it. All right, we'll go later. Uh, <laughs> so if you go to Papa, you might be able to hear a recreation of... Yeah. I think that's a recreation. It's I don't not think an actual, it's an original. No. But again, a description of what people said it sounded like. Um, they described... Um, or I guess part of it is slightly obvious, laughing owl, that actually refers to what it sounded like. Um, And it was described as a, quote, loud cry made of a series of dismal shrieks frequently repeated, end quote. (laughs) Um, It was also described as, quote, unquote, doleful shrieks and a, quote, prolonged cack, 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 end quote. Yeah. Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. (laughs) Um, which I guess, like, if you think, yeah, like, that does kind of... I could see why someone could interpret that as someone or something mm. laughing. Um, the laughing doll is the worst. 
laughing gun. It truly sounds like a human being laughing, and it is deeply unsettling. Yeah, I was going to say, I hate that. Yeah. Um, like, on an offshore island, supposedly alone, just you and some pelicans, and you hear someone laughing. Yeah. It's very spooky. Mm-hmm. So that prolonged cank, cank, cank would happen a lot on rainy nights, and it also apparently sounded like the barking of a dog, of a small dog, um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I Yeah, I can... Um whatever the sound version of visualize that is with yeah. like thinking about some other Audialize. some other owls in the world that i have heard <laughs> yeah and another another type of call that they found was they also had a captive pair that would make a call at dusk which was described as quote two men cooing to each other over a long distance end quote which I thought was an Why? interesting way what? to describe that. I love that they specified that it's two men as if mm. that's a thing that human men do. Do, yeah. <laughs> you know, when two men coo at each other over a long distance? <laughs> yeah. Like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? We've all had that experience. <laughs> also, there are birds that coo. Have you met a pigeon? Yeah, I don't... Was it, was it like if a pigeon was a man? <laughs> Baffling. Yeah, very strange, but that was apparently how it was described. Two so men cooing to each other over a long distance. Which was how, the, how come you never coo at me from a long distance anymore, <laughs> Thomas? Where's the romance? Um, which was, yeah, just everything about that sentence I found really strange. So like, over a long distance? Like, I don't know, does that mean it was sounded more echoey or something? And what made, again, what made it sound like two men as opposed to just two people of indeterminate sex or gender? Or perhaps two birds. Or two birds, which is actually what it was. <laughs> Bizarre. I love, hate that about, like, old writings from naturalists where mm. they're so taken with the beauty of the world that they use um, nothing but subjective descriptions mm. of things. It's like, mm, it sounds as if a... a woman lost her greatest treasures in the trials of the old war it's like oh great that great mean? that doesn't help me at all um <laughs> what does that we're mean we're clearly moved by this experience but can i get some some um more concrete descriptions very strange so in terms of what they eat this is i found this quite interesting mm-hmm. of what they eat because they're they're an owl so mm-hmm. they're a predator mm-hmm. but they're a generalist predator which means mm-hmm. they hunted basically anything that they could get uh their claws on not um, to be shady night. but being a generalist predator in new zealand is not nearly as uh outlandish as being a generalist predator say on a continent <laughs> um there's really only so many kinds of things here <laughs> yeah sure. like you, well, you eat a bat a bird and a lizard and maybe a weta like mm. <laughs> like a big one that does more or less include most of what they ate that's um, all there is here. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the kinds of animals. The only thing you really missed there was um, frogs. They would eat frogs. Really? Yep, apparently. They'd eat small huh. frogs. They'd have to scramble around on the ground to find those. Yeah. Um, they'd eat medium, small to medium-sized birds. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, bats and lizards. Um, they'd also eat juvenile tuatara um, <gasps> and some large insects like weta yeah. as well. I think I think Ruru still do that pretty yeah they'll, they'll crunch a wetter um so yeah they ate a lot of different things but as you say i guess there's only mm. a certain amount of things actually i'm also here. realizing now that we're discussing this i have to completely take back what i said earlier about like oh the rock ran has uh, or the bush ran has close living relatives i i see now that the laughing owl does as well <laughs> so ignore me i guess <laughs> um 
another kind of interesting thing about this was that some of the prey could be up to uh, 250 grams in size, which is just about half the, the weight of um, of the laughing owl, which her. is about 600. So damn, that's a hefty bird. Yeah. Um, so it's half a kg, just over half a kg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of the birds I've handled in my life are, are small songbirds, mm. like like 30 grams or less. I guess I've handled a lot of ducks and pelicans, but, mm. you know. Yeah. They're birds, but, like, are they? Yeah. <laughs> it's different. Technically, yes. Like, they're birds, but they're, like, they're they're ducks, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. They're in a, they're, they're their own I'm going to be scientifically discredited by this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you said ducks weren't birds. Like, they are, but, like, they're their own, they're yeah. their own deal, you know? Waterfowl. Yeah. Strange waterfowl. Anatidae. Yeah. And um, seriformes. Like, they even have their own, yeah. So that's what they were eating before humans arrived. Um, I mean, they were still eating that after humans arrived. But after humans arrived, of course, they brought all sorts of other things with them. And so actually what they found is that the laughing owls would hunt Kiore, the Pacific rat, as well. Um, Partially because it was now available. Um, They could, you know, it wasn't here and now it is, so they can eat it. Um, And partially because Māori burnt a lot of the forests where the laughing owls were... Um, usual prey resided. Um, yeah, the kiore are going to be eating a lot of those prey animals. Well, that's that the other thing. Gone for. So partially was um, also because the kiore was themselves predating on the eggs of the other prey. Mm. So there was less of their normal prey for them to hunt. And th- thus why they kind of switched, not quite predominantly, I don't think, to kiore, but they, they switched to um, having that as being a large part of their diet um, because, yeah, a lot of their... Basically, their prey wasn't around quite as much anymore due to habitat loss caused by humans and um, because, the, yeah, predation from from rats, um, which I thought was quite interesting. They just mm. they just apparently had no problem with that. Mm. Um, whereas well, there's lo- that video that Tiki thrashing a mouse to death, so I hope that catches on as a trend in the bird community. <laughs> You know, mm. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've seen I've Fight seen um, kingfishers. I've seen kingfisher do it as well. Oh yeah, with rats. That's kind of more on par with them, though. With mm. the TK, it's like, girl, what are you doing? Yeah, no, that's very. Unusual. I love this for you. Keep it up. But yeah. what inspired you to engage in this behavior? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas kingfishers, that's their thing. They catch something as big as themselves and then beat it to death. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so because they were generalist predators, um, it wasn't uncommon for their diet to vary. In um, in the case of kiore, that was their diet varying temporally, um, but also it could vary spatially as well, depending on where they were. So um, if the laughing owls happened to live in a more coastal sort of area, um, they were also known to hunt prions um, as well. Um, and in more inland areas, they would hunt kakariki or even big worms. Big worms! Yeah, big worms, which I thought was cool as well. So That's there's, great. There's a whole bunch of things that they See, there. that's so interesting that, yeah, like the um, the pepeke and the big worms, you got to be on the ground for that, mm. which uh, could potentially be a segue into why they're extinct. <laughs> <laughs> if they're hanging out on the ground. Yeah, so it doesn't... I mean, there was nothing I could find that explicitly said kind of how they hunted. Um, but it does give the impression that they were maybe, yeah, scrambling on the ground. They'd be on the ground, like, rummaging around in the leaf litter to find yeah. the frogs and the worms. Mm. And a lot, and depending on the species of bat, that's where the bats were hanging out as well, was on the ground. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, 
it seems to be that they'd be scratching around on the mm-hmm. ground quite a bit rather I than... I prefer to imagine mid-air combat because it's cooler, but <laughs> it could be both. It could be both. So in terms of where they lived, um, they were found throughout the mainland, um, but when Europeans arrived, um, sightings were only recorded um, south of Taranaki to East Cape. So if you mm-hmm. think of where Taranaki and the East Cape of North Island, only south of that, they were never seen north of... Um, they were, yeah, they were never sighted in northern Waikato, uh, in Auckland, Coromandel, you know, all the way up Northland, that kind of area. Just never seen in those areas. Uh, they were also only recorded, apparently, in Nelson and Marlborough and on Stewart Island. Um, so it doesn't seem like that they actually had a massive area in the South Island either that mm. they were um, hanging out in. And it's not, as far as I could tell, not super clear if that's actually where they were found in terms of like they've always been in those areas and just nowhere else or whether they'd been you know whether they'd gone extinct in those in like canterbury and otago for example Mm. i suspect probably they were in those areas and then just not there anymore when europeans turned up or when they decided to start recording this information Mm. because otherwise i don't quite know how they'd get all the way from nelson to stewart island that's Mm. quite a long distance (laughs) Um, in terms of the type of habitat they were hanging out in, um, they were in open grassland in the South Island and in forests in the North Island. Um, they'd make nests of dried grasses, um, which would be made on the ground in caves. Uh-huh. Just as they suspected. <laughs> nesting on the ground. Nesting can't, be, on, can't be doing that. Nesting on the ground. Can't be doing that. They are nesting on the ground. Stop leaving your babies on the floor. Um, <laughs> they will be snatched. <laughs> um... So they'd make these nests, I thought, which was really interesting, in caves, cracks in rocks, on rock ledges, under boulders, and possibly in the holes in trees. Um, mm. Which I believe is quite unusual for owls to be... Uh, no, the cavity nesting is on par. Right. Um, but in a rock crevice or something like that, that's mm. pretty odd. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at an owl's nest, a lot of times they'll be just sort of just they'll kind of just fling it up into somewhere but mm. like you know they, they do a little better job of hiding it usually yeah. um yeah the caves thing is very interesting because that's that's kind of limiting you to to certain areas you'd need to like i mean i guess there's a fair number of limestoney areas in in new zealand but that's very interesting yeah but again i mean like flying like so many other things if you're not having the predation pressure to to build your house and have your babies 50 feet off the mm. ground it is a lot of work and comes with its own risks yeah um just like flying is extremely costly you're not going to keep it up if you're not facing a selective if pressure to do so if there's no reason to do that then why mm. bother yeah island biogeography yeah and so nests would be used for long periods of time um and because of that, they would gather a lot of bones from captured prey, um, including birds, reptiles, and bats. Happy Halloween. Now, what's kind of interesting about that is the owls would, as their excrement, would excrete pellets. Are you sh- sure they, they didn't barf them back up? Unsure. Okay. Because a lot of owls barf a pellet up rather than well, sending it, it, it is, all the way it is, through their digestive system. It is system. excrement of a kind, just not the other end. I I don't I have not looked it up in the okay I don't know that but that is an important difference in my mind okay um, <laughs> what hole it comes if out you're, of if you're if you're horking up a little pellet versus mm. 
sending it all the way through your digestive system for no good reason. Sure. Actually, thinking about the way that bird shit is, um, I've been pooped on by so many things. Mm. Um, and birds, they don't urinate in the way that we think of. They excrete urea paste. Yeah. And that all comes out of the same hole and everything. So, mm. like, bird shit doesn't... I would imagine they would have to barf the bones back up. I don't think they could send them out the other end. The other end, yeah. Based on... Yeah. How most bird digestive systems work. I probably should have warned people if they were eating. Maybe. Maybe stop. So I apologize. Don't swallow the bones. <laughs> don't swallow the bones. Yeah. Um, and don't bother with the fur either. You can't digest it. <laughs> See, that's another thing I find interesting is that's a big leap to start eating. Well, no, if they were eating bats before, mm, then yeah. I guess they already have that figured out. They had but... a bit of, bit of that going on. Yeah. Um, so they however they got these pellets out, they got them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes these pellets would be become fossilized and so examining the contents of the bones in these fossilized pellets um has actually helped scientists to determine not only what the laughing owl actually ate but what kind of animals were in the new zealand bush prior to human arrival Mm. um which i thought was was very interesting we got to dissect owl pellets as a like primary school science project Mm. and it was cool as hell (laughs) (laughs) just all these like mouse bones and stuff it was awesome so that's quite interesting because the bones would typically unless the bones are sort of you know in the ground or something they don't tend to survive long in the archaeological record i guess is kind of what you'd call it yeah those little bitty creatures yeah so they're tiny bones again rats small um birds lizards that sort of stuff those bones aren't going to survive so i was actually quite lucky that they got fossilized in this pellet Mm. form um, and in one example they found, which was at Gouland Downs, which is in, in um, or near Nelson, scientists found, quote, 28 species of bird, a tuatutta, three frogs, at least four geckos, a skink, two bats, and two fish, Damn, end quote. she's been busy. So also seems like they may have caught fish as well, potentially. Lit. Which is I kind of that. interesting. In terms of the breeding... Um, two eggs would be laid in September to October, um, with chicks hatching after about a month and then being reared over um, October to November. And the female would incubate the eggs all by herself, but the male would go out and hunt and then return to, to feed her, um, which is, I guess, pretty typical sort of behavior for a lot of different species of birds is one of them I sitting on the eggs. I don't know a lot about the behave like the breeding behaviors of owls that's not mm. something i've i've never worked with owls mm. big fan of their work big yeah. fan of their- <laughs> they're pretty cool i like to look at them i like to talk to them yeah um <laughs> i did yeah they are cool mm-hmm. um they're a good call and response birds some birds don't care but mm. if you if you do an owl call then you might get one back yeah one thing about our these owls behavior is that um wikipedia describes them as being gentle natured it's a bit sad yeah that's kind of on par though with again island biogeography mm. is some they don't a bunch have, of naked apes show up and they're like all right they don't that's have a fine. fear of that yeah, yeah that seems fine by me yeah <laughs> so let's talk about their extinction um as well because this this i also found quite sort of interesting and slightly different in a sense to um the bush wren was um, laughing owls were quite common in the areas that they were found when Europeans arrived in Aotearoa all the way up to sort of the middle 19th century, so the 1850s. After that is when they began to decline quite 
rapidly. However, it's possible that they were already declining before Europeans arrived, because they were quite common in Te Uruwera in the pre-European era, and then not so much afterwards. Mm. It's unclear whether they were already sort of going down, but we aren't really sure, because by 1880 they were really rare. Mm. 1880 and sort of around that time is when a lot of mustelids, so stoats, ferrets and Mm. weasels got introduced Mm. to New Zealand, so that pretty clearly correlates with when the um, laughing owl populations really tanked. Yeah, they were probably eating the chicks, because I don't think Mm. a rat could eat an owl chick. No. Because they're semi-precocial when they hatch, so Mm. they're not just naked and pathetic yeah like songbirds usually are yeah um so they may be able to fight off a rat but not a not a mustelid yeah well kind of the interesting thing is with uh kiore is of course they don't think kiore actually contributed meaningfully to the laughing owl's decline and probably ship rats and norway rats neither because kiore just became part of their diet Mm. And they've been living with them for hundreds of years. You know, mm-hmm. by the time Europeans arrived, they've been living with, you know, laughing owls and kiori had been coexisting for approximately 600 years mm-hmm. with may potentially no huge impact. You know, they don't think rats actually contributed all that much mm. um, to the decline of the laughing owl, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. And so the last confirmed sighting was a dead individual in South Canterbury in 1914. Mm. So we, we definitely know that they were around um, at least until then, um, but unconfirmed sightings and people claiming they heard a laughing owl would actually continue until the 1930s. Um, and there was one guy who apparently said he heard a laughing owl near a portiki in the 1940s, but that, again, was unconfirmed. Mm. So we only really know that they definitely were still around in 1914. That's the last time we 100% knew that. There was a possible sighting in 1952 in Fiordland, um, where a weird bird was spotted flying overhead that had a, quote, most unusual weird cry, which might almost be described as maniacal end quote aliens <laughs> it's just aliens so i i don't I think i mean it could have been a kind of a messed up ruru you know mm. every once in a while you heard it you hear a bird that's not doing its call quite right mm. you know yeah know. it's just drink his coffee is too fast it kind of burnt his throat yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but i just yeah that one i found weird because it's like what you saw a weird thing that you couldn't identify and it sounded the kind of strange. The only option is an extinct, extinct bird. bird that's it's the been only extinct thing I can for think forty of. years at that point. Like, I think it was a barn owl. Uh, it could no, it couldn't have been a barn owl. I'm pretty sure they're only found in the upper North Island, right? Well, they're a vagrant species, mm, so maybe it's that's more likely than a laughing. Owl. It is. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It is more likely. <laughs> and they are kind of. Yeah, they kind of have that disc-shaped face and, mm. and a yellowy color to them. That's true, And, yeah. oh my God, they sound horrific. Yeah. They scream. They shriek. It's awful. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it was a barn owl. Yeah. It really could have been. Yeah, it could have been a barn owl. Mystery solved. You're there welcome, go. everyone. There we go. You heard it here first. <laughs> yep. Exclusive. Uh-huh. We, we solved a 50-year-old, 70-year-old even mm. uh, mystery. Mm-hmm. I would bet one US dollar on that. Yeah. <laughs> They also think they found egg fragments um, in Canterbury in 1960, which they're not really sure of because just trying to identify the species just by the egg fragments is... I'm going to put that on barn owl as well. Barn owl, you're saying is, but that would be barn owl. Yeah. owl eggs are a little unique. They tend to be r- fairly round, mm. which is not that common globally. Yeah, sure. Um, so that may have been why they were like, mm, owl. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, despite all these potential sightings and everything else... 
the scholarly community um, generally accepts that total extinction had probably occurred around 1940, mm. or at least by 1940. Yeah. Um, they're pretty certain that they won't have survived beyond that. And again, the main sort of reason for that was the introduction of mustelids and also cats mm. um, would have contributed as well, or would have been the main drivers that led to extinction. As I mentioned earlier, Kyore probably didn't contribute all that much, but they did actually think that until... Um, I've written here until the late 20th century, um, but it was actually the (laughs) mid-1990s. I was trying to be uh, consistent with my notation, but it was, I think it was 1990, it was like either 1993 or 1996, somewhere around there. So the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mid-90s was when they figured out. Yeah, yeah, when when the Barney movie came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Where were you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, when they kind of decided actually didn't probably contribute to their decline again because laughing owls used them as a food source mm. um, for hundreds of years um, and they'd been hanging out together for a very long mm. time at that point and you can also get source and sink populations when a new pressure is introduced like that where you have some areas that are free of that pressure mm. that are reproducing abundantly and quite successful and those populations can kind of overflow into areas where maybe survival is lower or reproduction isn't happening very successfully and so there could be it could be that even if the rats had an effect if they didn't have that effect everywhere the population could have remained stable Mm. by having some areas where reproduction was very successful kind of making up for the fact that you know even if the chicks were getting eaten or the eggs were getting eaten somewhere else so yeah you can kind of enter an equilibrium yeah um Kind of like when some of the rarer birds leave Zealandia, mm. that can be a source sink situation. Sure. Where they may not survive to reproduce outside of the sanctuary, but new babies from the sanctuary will continue to fun- kind of fill in those populations. So you can get sort of a deceptively large range for a mm. species that's actually some of that some of that range is not actually providing all of their survival needs. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, that could have that could have been what was going on there um, as well, um, and they also again think that ship rats and Norway rats probably weren't a huge issue for these guys either. Um, it was really the the mustelids and the cats, mm-hmm. the, the those bigger animals that really is what did them in that they just couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and rats also they're they're really much more opportunistic predators, whereas cats and mustelids, they're out for blood. They're mm, looking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're designed to be hunting yeah. pretty much exactly... Rats are more animals. like, oh, a naked, defenseless baby bird, don't mind if I do, as yeah. opposed to like, I'm out for birds, I'm looking for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And other things that probably contributed to their decline and the eventual extinction was persecution, which I didn't realise was the technical term for going out to hunt birds for museums and specimens and stuff Mm, mm -hmm. which i thought was a very interesting term for that british museum british museum yeah so yeah that can sometimes also mean like wolves in the u.s where they were hunted because people were like wow they're eating my sheep yeah yeah so Um, that's what happened with kakariki as well not Um, kakariki kia right uh kia was for attacking um uh sheep yeah they were like chewing chunks off a sheep yes but kakariki were also um uh, hunted as well because they would eat um crops mm. um like gr- grains and things mm-hmm. they'd come down and eat those mm-hmm. um they do love millet yeah you do love millet but yeah for these guys it was mostly um them being hunted um for museum specimens mm. um seems to be what it was which yeah if you go and google it you can see quite a few 
um, specimens of, of these guys. Not done super well, I don't think, um, a lot of the time. It's and hard. You ever skinned a bird? No, it, no I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't rag on them too much. Um, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I've ruined a couple of starlings mm. in my attempts. That's okay, we're not going to run out of starlings. No, that's true. And the other thing was changes in land use, mm. um, which I assume was things like um, intensification of um, farming and, and that sort of thing was, um, uh, yeah, again, more Sometimes habitat. change in land use is a euphemism for deforestation. Yeah, I was about to say as well, <laughs> loss of habitat, so deforestation. Yeah. Draining um, wetlands, all of it. Yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff, which again is pretty pretty standard stuff mm-hmm. for um these sorts of animals so yeah so that's pretty much everything that i have on these two uh birds what do you what do you think what do you think of the birds um i mean it's always bittersweet to learn about something that that's extinct mm. um personally what i find exciting about species is sort of their evolutionary trajectory mm. but what do they do and how do they do it and why mm. and think about what is it that led this creature to exist in the way that it is um so yeah it's it's um that's the the difficult thing being in ecology and being in conservation is having to is is looking at a creature or a plant or an environment and thinking how incredible that this all exists and functions the way that it does and just seeing a, a big old spanner thrown very violently into the works mm, yeah um, that, so that's that's always that's always a difficult thing to face mm. um we're, I mean, we're in the middle of another mass extinction, so. But yeah, I think there's, I think there's merit to talking about extinct species, especially these recent extinctions. Um, sometimes when it happened a long time ago, it, it it feels distant, but these, you know, it feels very preventable, and I think it also feels very present because they do have living relatives, close mm. living relatives, um, and with the the bush wren and the rock wren, you know, the rock wren is very ecologically similar, and it's very vulnerable for similar reasons. Um, I think it's just a little luckier in that its habitat is a little harder to get to. Mm. I think that's probably why it's still around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's lessons to be had for sure. Um, but it's also amazing to think about all the things that have been, at least temporarily, um, you know, extinction has at least been delayed. Mm. Yeah. I, I have a confession, actually. Mm. Um, I have never voted for Bird of the Year because I simply cannot make the decision. I think if I was held, wow. at, I think if I was held at gunpoint, I would not be able to. It is your honestly. civic duty to do so. I can't. You get to I pick can't. five of them. That's not enough. <laughs> like, especially like I, last year, I was like, mm, yeah, I'm gonna vote for the banded dotterel, and they had like four different. There's too many dotterels. They're all threatened, and I just, I just, I want to vote for all of the threatened species, basically, which unfortunately it's is most a lot more than five. <laughs> yeah, um, I just can't. That's a lifelong wow. thing with me, as I cannot pick favorites. I mean, I can I can barely make. We're not a decision. asking you to pick a favorite. We're asking you to rank five of them. Impossible, impossible, <laughs> impossible. I could maybe do it with with like, no. I was about to say maybe I could do it with lizards, but no. Mm. Well, don't be like Lily. Go out and vote. It is your. I care duty. too much, and I won't apologize for that. <laughs> Um, I, all I've done is spend my Saturday afternoon telling the fine people of the podcast listening community about birds, mm. and I think that is enough of a contribution. <laughs> I also think that my what I spend forty hours a week doing yeah. for a living is counts for something. I hope. <laughs> no, you have you have to vote in this thing that ultimately doesn't mean anything. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, 
so yeah so thank you lily for coming on and sharing your knowledge yep. about birds i've traveled really us. far we're at my desk <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean you're american so you've traveled far from america not specifically for this but just more generally oh god no i didn't um, sign up for this <laughs> look at this uh, <laughs> sitting here in our bathrooms on a saturday afternoon yeah who wouldn't um, want to be doing i mean this is similar to conversations we've had god forbid i see you looking at a bird on the internet and i'm like hey do you want me to butt in for the next hour and tell you answer <laughs> questions you didn't ask um going on a walk with me is insufferable um well because the, the other thing that we don't talk about on here is plants mm. which you also know a lot about so we end up stopping a lot to look at plants that mm. i don't know anything about mm. Um, and I, well, I take it personally when I don't know what a plant is. Mm. So sometimes so to... it's sometimes progress is slow because I yeah. got to figure out what they all are. Yeah. Did you want to tell good people where to find you if they want to find you? Sure. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the Patreon episode, I used to be post-grad Hobbit, but I figured uh, around two years after graduating, I should probably change that <laughs> username. So now it is Hodoropi Hobbit, H-A-U-R-O-P-I underscore Hobbit which is Tereo for ecology. Um, that's me. What platform is that on? Instagram. Sorry. Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't just go Googling on Twitter or, sorry, I X don't, formerly known I don't as Twitter. Have, no, that's the only one I meaningfully use. I'm on Tumblr, but don't ever find me there. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't go looking. Don't look. It's not that username. You will never find me. So, yeah, thank you again for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm just going to make an outro, so oh, so we can just leave it there. Thanks again to my partner, Lily, for coming on and sharing their knowledge. If you want to vote in Bird of the Century, voting opens on the 30th of October and closes on the 12th of November. I've put a link to the Bird of the Century voting page in the show notes. And as I mentioned at the top of the episode, you don't need to live in New Zealand to vote. You just need a valid email address. You get to rank five different birds, so get out there and let your voice be heard. Remember, this is part two of our Bird of the Century episodes, so if you want more bird facts, check out the other episode next to this one. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaotearoa.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. You can also find helpful resources there, like transcripts and sources. You can help support Hans through Patreon, buying merch, or giving us a review. It means a lot, and help spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, Pairitu Atu, Hokitu Mai. See you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.